Welcome to the Great Enthusiasm Podcast by Jude and I. The podcast where we share the fun and the failings of almost being global entrepreneurs. And how we nearly had it all. This is the story of Dry Like Me and us, Jude and I, and how we took a kitchen table invention to the shelves of the supermarkets globally and even over to America to Toys R Us. We want to share the learnings and document the story of Dry Like Me. We'd like to help others succeed where we failed. We always had great enthusiasm and lots of stories along the way. Some of them are censored though, Di. The best ones are censored. They are the best ones. (laughs) So this week we're talking about mumpreneurs, the term mumpreneur and our reluctance to use that term while we were in business because of all the connotations that we felt it held to us. But lots of mums do start businesses. And I know one of the reasons that I was keen to start my own business at that stage with a young family was the belief that it gives the flexibility and the autonomy while also still being able to use your skills that you've built up during your professional career. I, yeah, I totally agree. But I think, I'll tell you what, just before we started this podcast, we looked it up on a dictionary, mm-hmm. didn't we? We thought, what is the difference in the dictionary between an entrepreneur and a mumpreneur? And the first interesting thing is mumpreneur isn't in the dictionary. So we don't even qualify for a, <laughs> you know, a legitimate description, which I think in itself says everything. Yeah. But when we did look it up, the sort of words around entrepreneur, like there's an assumption that the entrepreneur is some sort of alpha male it talks about setting up a business the full profit with um taking on huge risk in the name of profit and i think those are quite alpha male terms and when we did find a definition of mompreneur on you know just generally on google it was um a woman who sets up and run her own business in addition to caring for a young child no mention of business skills or profit Profit. or risk despite the fact that all those things were also taken by us when we set up our business yeah it almost sounds as if it's you're doing 50% business and 50% being a mum but I always felt we were 100% running a business and 100% a mum and that conflict was difficult at times because you couldn't always get the balance right but we were 100% committed to both yeah and I think our kids would are probably testament to that because I'm not sure they believed we worked no and I think we were I mean it's a bit early in the podcast to go deep but now you've mentioned it I think hang far I think we need to go deep because I think one of my problems with the word mumpreneur is what it represents to how I felt about myself and when I look back I think I allowed myself to be valued as less than yeah anyone else in my household who was in business I seem to have signed a secret contract that said that my value was less my time was of less value. I could give meetings up at the drop of a hat in order to fetch the children, even if they were really important. If I was playing meeting top trumps with my ex-husband, mm. I was guaranteed to lose that argument every single time. And it did give me amazing flexibility. I did see my kids grow up, but I think it's also taught them to devalue my work yeah, and my time I spend on work. And there's an assumption that I will always put them first and I'm not suggesting that as a mom, I wouldn't put them first, but I'm not sure it's been the, gra- the greatest life lesson. And I think in this moment, right here, right now, um, it's not served me very well at all. I I remember <laughs> there's a couple of instances where I couldn't put the girls first. Number one, when Grace 
broke her a bone in her foot and had to go to the x-ray um, hospital, the clinic the next day. And we had a really important meeting that we couldn't Oh my God, miss. we won the Top Trumps meeting <laughs> yeah, that did. day. <laughs> and another time, uh, I think it was Grace again, second child syndrome, her first day at middle school, I wasn't there for it. And she still reminds me that I wasn't there and everyone else's mum was at the school gate. And I did feel a huge guilt to that. And I can remember Grace one day saying to me, why is Dry Like Me so much more important to you than I am? And that absolutely killed me hearing that. Yeah. And I think it was so difficult to always get it right. But I did feel we were able to get it right 80%. But the perception was that we were mums running a, a hobby business, that it wasn't serious, mm-hmm. that somehow we weren't there. We hadn't come from a corporate background, which we had, and that we weren't there to actually succeed and make money at it, which was very much at the forefront of what we were doing. And then sometimes it really worked for us, didn't it? That idea, I mean, we had invented a project that was the ultimate mompreneur invention. It was even invented around a kitchen table you know we can't, yeah. it's undeniable that we were moms who invented a product as a result of a parenting catastrophe and sometimes that worked for us didn't it because I remember um oh god do you remember that program smack the pony and it was the sketch show <laughs> yeah. and there was this brilliant 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 scene in it where the girls used to be all dressed up in suits and be like yes buy sell sell buy it's terribly <laughs> like important Paris, New, York. It, New York yes anywhere and then they'd get in um, a cab or go to the toilets whatever in the sketch and just absolutely howl with laughter and the amount of times we did, <laughs> did that, that and we used yeah. to call them our smack the pony moments didn't yeah. we we'd do a terribly serious meeting go oh yes 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 blah 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 give it all our best pitch walk out and absolutely howl with laughter and I love that sketch because I used to think it's not laughing at the women it's laughing at the women playing the men at thinking they were less than and you know and I felt that often in meetings that people would make they sort of were often shocked that we were any good and I was like yeah and it wasn't just the men actually I think it's the corporate environment it was uh, people in in corporate expect that mum's coming in it's this hobby um, whereas I think we encountered a lot of mums that had a lot to give and actually it was one of our values where we could to employ people that were mums at home because mm-hmm. we felt they had this knowledge and this experience they were really driven to perform mm-hmm. because time was short they had to make it to have three to pick the kids up so the amount of work that mums can do during the working day they're so mm-hmm. much more productive as a result of it and they've got a lot of really good skills that are otherwise mm. untapped or they end up doing a part-time job somewhere. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, the the other thing we've talked about a lot is how did that psychology of believing we were a little bit less than and hadn't we just been so lucky to be able to run our own business, things that like, you know, not the assumption that of course we could run our own business and go and negotiate great salaries. But when as an entrepreneur, you are going for investment and you're negotiating a deal to um, get investment to compensate ourselves for our work and also that great unknown sweat equity. Yeah. I think we always put more sweat in the sweat equity yeah. than we got dollars for, if you like. And I yeah. think men don't seem to have that same issue with asking for their worth. And I think we did undervalue ourselves at times. Yeah. And then it becomes really hard to have that conversation later on. And there was this assumption, wasn't there, that because we were not the main breadwinners because we were married. Well, who said we weren't the main breadwinners? But there was that assumption in all the investment meetings we went to, wasn't yeah. there? That we well, were asked. It wasn't even an yeah. assumption. They were very blatant like, about asking. Right. And then it was like, well, then you therefore you someone else is taking care of the finances and you just need 
like a hobby salary. Yeah, which I found at home that became quite difficult to then justify putting the time in Mm. to the business when actually the amount of money we were getting out of it was so low that it was then then hard to justify things like childcare Mm. because you weren't actually earning enough. And also when you look at the amount of stress we were putting ourselves Mm. under, the amount of sweat equity, the amount of times once the kids went to bed, we were spending evenings catching up mm. on emails. That was taking away from home time and leisure time with our partners. So I think they did feel a bit like it, the the amount coming into the household finances didn't actually justify our time and energy away from the household as a, as a whole. So the other thing I found a real challenge was this concept of juggling. So I thought I was terribly clever to come up with an idea where we could run our own business and we could juggle and we could be everywhere all at the same time. And then, um, you know, now my kids say to me, but mom, you were always on your phone. And I used to think there's a deal done here, isn't it? It's like if I can be flexible and, you know, put down my work and go and pick the kids up from school and, you know, go and do um, parents evening or whatever, you know, take the kids to football, whatever I had to do, then the flexibility worked both ways, which means that probably I did have to take my mobile phone on holiday and answer emails. And I used to say to you all the time, didn't I, Richard Branson probably doesn't put his virgin mobile phone down when he's sat on his island, Necker Island. He probably does. He's probably people to do that. But he probably did. (laughs) That's a joke. He probably does. And um. And I think it was that all-consumingness mm-hmm. that, and you're right, for um, our partners at the time, they did work incredibly hard, but there was a beginning and end to their day. Yeah. They were paid annual leave. You know, they could turn off. You know, I'm not saying they didn't have stressful jobs because they both did, but they could turn off. And I think, you know, that flexibility did come back certainly to mm-hmm. haunt me for a definite. Yeah. And I still... Um, even now, it's a real easy blow to say to me, you're always on your phone. I'm like but I'm always trying to bring money in, you know, it's like... Yeah. I think the danger is when it becomes habit and you end up doing it all the time. So I think in the sort of the, if we go with the 80-20 rule, if 80% of the time you can get your work done within your core hours, whatever you want to do, and then you're available for that 20% of time when Mm -hmm. emergencies happen. Um, But the trouble is it... I felt for me it became a habit mm. that I felt and I felt obligated because we had investors, we had other people relying on us to be available all the time, even if it didn't really need to be done from a work point of mm. view. It was just almost like showing up and showing that you were committed, showing that you were there to answer emails. And it was almost trying to prove ourselves. And I think, why? Why did yeah. we stand in our power yeah. as mumpreneurs and just go, the day's done? You've had more than your pound of flesh. Because yeah. I certainly think you and I we're always in danger of over-delivering, never yeah. under-delivering. And um, you know, I own that space more. And yeah. I think if I could tell my 10-year, well, 15-year-ago self a lesson, it would be that. It would be value yourself more and stand in your power and own that space. You know, at the end of the day, the world is a different place to how it was even 15 years ago when we started this business. Yeah. It certainly is. I remember coming out of the corporate job and being one of the first people to ask for flexible working when I was, yeah. I'd just had a baby. You know, there wasn't even 12 months off, was there, after the, when I'd had my first. And I think friends had had a baby a couple of years before and only got three months off. And, you know, the world changed really rapidly, really fast. Yeah. And I don't think, even as a woman, I understood and took advantage in the right way or empowered that change in the right way. Yes. I would do it differently now. Yeah, sure. I think it's setting boundaries, isn't yeah. it? And not being afraid to be different and to stand out and, and speak your truth, speak your boundaries. Yeah. 
which and I think pr- would have been healthier. protect our personal space. It's yeah. like, I felt guilty for not working when I was on annual leave. And I remember one particular annual leave where um, I'd spent like 90% of the holiday in the in the Wi-Fi suite at the time, because that's what you had to do, go and use the computers in the Wi-Fi room while you dealt with like a major crisis. And I look back and go, like in the in the world of worlds, what possible major crisis could have there been <laughs> around a potty training product that yeah, would have that couldn't have waited. broken a family holiday, nearly yeah. finished you off back in the UK? And I think... I mean, that's just madness, it's isn't mad- it? Madness. It was always Easter, wasn't it? There was something about always the Easter, Easter holidays. We used to dread the Easter holidays. <laughs> it always went mental at Easter. Oh, I feel, a, I feel a digression to talk about April Fool's Day now. Oh, no, go on. You've got to say it. So Get we had... I've got, okay, this is one of our funny stories. <laughs> so I, we used to... Um, always be dreaming of the big sellout didn't we it was like the big thing and we were in conversation with someone actually from a major company and i just thought it's april fool's day i'll i'll email die and pretend that they've come back and they're interested in doing a deal so i dug out an old email i mean it's so pathetic really but i dug out an old email and forwarded it on to her and said oh my god it's happening you know the deal's happening read below and just left it and went off and enjoyed my april fool's day and completely forgot about the email cut to the well, what new you forest. didn't realise, actually, you couldn't <laughs> have done this any better. I was in the new forest with really patchy Wi-Fi, <laughs> so the email half-downloaded, so I couldn't actually read what was said. So I totally believed it, couldn't get any Wi-Fi, so spent the day, I remember we were out on our bikes, I remember riding through the new forest, working out what I was going to spend my money on. <laughs> I remember you being so angry because you said you'd got into a row with your husband over it. You'd ruined the, the cycling trip. You kept stopping everywhere trying, trying to log on. Wi-Fi. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'd forgotten the gag altogether. I was off in cloud cuckoo land somewhere oh, That was else, funny. But, oh, that was funny. <laughs> You've never got me back for that. No, so. I will do one I, day. I, I remain the um, April Fool's queen. <laughs> but actually, it's a great example of juggling because you've got really, really in the hot wards of a wrecking your cycling and i did completely wreck it and that was so stupid (laughs) to do that and i think there's something about maybe this is me as a mindfulness coach being where you are in body and in mind yeah and actually really focusing on switching off even if it's just for an hour but actually committing to i'm not going to think about it my husband at the time used to say that if you cut me open i'd be like a stick of rock with dry like me running through my my veins (laughs) And I think it was all we thought about. The amount of time is so all-consuming, having your own business. It was our baby. And I think for entrepreneurs, mumpreneurs, that's what investors buy into, isn't it? It is, you know, it was absolutely... We just believed in it a thousand percent. It was everything. It was our tickets to... Bahamas and that blooming yacht I keep talking about and um, it was everything wasn't it we'd given birth to what became a problem child but at the beginning was our precious baby wasn't it yeah and needed nurturing it certainly did yeah it needed a lot needed more time and attention than our real babies a lot of the time I wonder if it would have been different if we hadn't had investors because I think part of that was well I felt once we got investors it moved away from being any kind of kitchen table hobby job mumpreneur Mm. job and it was serious and I felt huge obligation to our investors and I think in some ways that put a lot of pressure on me but I think in some ways that was good pressure because it made us do it because it wasn't then about just getting some pocket money it was about delivering what we promised that someone Mm. else had put faith in us but I don't think we wanted a hobby job did we I know we joke about it now you famously said I want a hobby job 
but when we went for investment we were deadly serious we were going to make yeah. multiple millions and this was going to be the best selling widget since widgets were invented and you know we were we were deathly serious about it yeah. so i mean we didn't put our all into it for nothing it wasn't um a pipe dream was it no it was yeah it's funny i was reading yesterday apparently in the tibetan language there's no word for guilt because oh. they just they just don't so believe what you're it. saying is i need to go and be a tibetan yeah. <laughs> <laughs> off you trot have you met me <laughs> no that would be an april fool i'd like i'm to off see. i'm off to meditate said jude never no that's a lie i do meditate now <laughs> it's taking me till i'm 50 but i do <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> so die to bring our musing of the word mumpreneur to an end i find it a very yin and yang term even now um tell me what is the best thing you think it there was to being a mumpreneur and maybe what was the one lesson that you learned from it i think it was about still being able to be at home with the kids but also to still feel that i was advancing my career that i was using the skills that i'd built up pre-children and moving forward in my career. Yeah, that makes, I agree with that totally. Yeah. We sort of, were still in it, weren't we? I felt like we were in the zeitgeist. Yeah. Even though our lives had changed so dramatically on a personal level. Yeah, definitely. And what about a lesson? The lesson was that it was so all consuming. I never anticipated that it would take so much brain power and so much thought that couldn't be switched off at 6 p.m. in the evening. Yeah, I agree with that. I think if I could, I would go back and put boundaries in place and, you know, protect my value and protect my time a little bit better, I think. Definitely. And And it's probably been a lesson I've been learning ever since as well and still haven't got right. (laughs) 80-20, that's what I go for. If you can do 80% of the time, you're doing well. I like that 80-20 rule. So next week, we're um, coming into another pet subject of ours, aren't we? (laughs) So we've called this session Angels and Dragons. And it's going to be all about our investment journey and how we raised, I think it was £1.3 million in the end, into our business already done <laughs> and don't forget if you love the podcast or even if you don't just be nice to us please and um rate it obviously five stars is the answer and review it for us there's a little section i think on spotify and stuff when you can review it um subscribe and of course share it with all your mumpreneur friends thanks for listening we hope that we have entertained you and hopefully inspired you to become an entrepreneur